Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts welcome to movie crush a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, uh, Friday interview edition, filmmaker series. Well, not really. Film series with Maddie. Well, I think we, with this one, we have finalized the 1999. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which is also, you know, originally it was hit movies, Mm -hmm. and these are all hit movies, too. They are. They are. But, you know, once we milk 1999 for all it's worth, we can just keep doing fun, big movies. Sweet, dude. I'm all about 98, too. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you're very, uh, well, I'll just call you 20th century man. I know. I, it really is true. I, I feel like there's something special there for me, just for my yeah. childhood. I'm with you. Yeah, uh, coming into my own. So, uh, before we jump into this movie, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to hit the box office numbers for the, the past two and then this one. Okay? okay. Really quickly. So, first time I came on, we did The Matrix. That made $465, million worldwide okay. in its lifetime. Fight well, Club, then, was their second. Uh-huh. It made $101, $102 million worldwide. Yeah, modest hit. Modest. The one we're going to talk about today had a gross of $672, million. Yeah, it was, you know, it really hit me last night what a... Uh, phenomenon this movie was yes and a cultural touchstone 
Like this is one of those movies that created memes and uh, I guess pre-meme even, sort of. But like, you know, I See Dead People, it's one of those things where that was a joke for fucking 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's now a phrase that just exists in yeah. American and, and yep. other cultural It's a show things. me the money. It's yeah. a play it again, Sam, you know. It's yeah, pretty, absolutely. Pretty incredible. I see dead people. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's so funny that, like, that is the takeaway. But I guess it's just a quick way to reference the movie, to reference, like, this phenomena yeah. of possibly, you know, having – an extra sensory perception of some sort. Yeah, it was spoofed so much for so many years after this. Uh, and yeah, it just, it really kind of all culminated last night when I was watching it of what a big, big film this was. Yes. Put Shyamalan, Shyamalan <laughs> on the map. <laughs> night. Uh, I just loved it. Yeah, Night. A man is called Night. Um, put, um, obviously, Haley Joel Osment is his first movie. He was great in this. Dude, the performances in this movie. Yeah. Um, okay, so bef- uh, again, I guess we can just start talking about everybody knows what it is, right? It's uh, The plot is a child psychologist uh-huh. played by Bruce Willis. His name's Dr. M- Malcolm. Uh, yeah, Malcolm something or other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spoilers, this is a 20-something-year-old movie. Yes. Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Well, oh God, we just did it right there. Okay. <laughs> in fact, when uh, when I first saw this movie, and this was only my second viewing, I saw it in the theater twenty years ago, and then has, haven't seen it since. Wow. And I feel like this is a movie a lot of people ran out and saw again with that knowledge, just to see mm-hmm. them. You know, you could pick apart the things. But um, I back twenty years ago thought, man, it would be so funny if whenever someone mentioned Six Sense, be like, oh yeah, the movie about. Uh, about that ghost, uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just being like the first thing you say to someone. <laughs> that is terrible, Chuck. No, I never did that, of course. <laughs> what was your experience with it? You saw it. Let's hear about your first Okay, viewing. so it, we're, not, we're 99 again, same mm-hmm. guy that we've talked about. If you haven't. Same if, Maddie. Yeah, if you don't remember, go back and listen to the other You're episodes. You're like, I really changed a lot between The Matrix and this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, so I was in that world. When I first saw it, I remember identifying with... Haley Joel Osment's character, uh, Cole, mm-hmm. and really I viewed the movie through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's a little kid who is experiencing something terrible mm-hmm. in his life. At first, you're not really sure what it is. Right. Um, and then, you know, our, our character, Dr. Malcolm, is trying to help him out and figure out what his problem is. And then you learn that he in fact, sees deceased people, mm. dead people, and... What if that was a line? I see deceased people. <laughs> <laughs> I can sense deceased individuals. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm identifying with this kid who is both terrified of the world, mm-hmm. of the darkness, of any, you know, unknown thing. Like, he's terrified because of his experiences, but he's also extremely strong. Yeah. And... Um, I know there's a there's an air of confidence about him, even though he's he's so he shrinks back mm-hmm. a lot of the time. There's a scene where he's he attempts to do a coin magic trick that Bruce Willis's character shows him. So he yeah. So he then attempts to do it for a kid at a party. Yeah, that's right. And the way he just um, something about that scene, I don't know why it stuck with me, but the way he just he tries to do the trick, just mm-hmm. very you know, hey, nonchalantly, confidently. Um, 
shows that he's willing to try and interact with another person there mm-hmm. and maybe make a friend, but the other kid is just not having it. Not having it. Uh, and not interested. And the kid has a very similar reaction that Cole had initially when Dr. Malcolm did it to him. Right. So it's an interesting mirroring. But again, it just kind of shows you his character. And I think when I was that age, like it was a kid who was only like, what, 10 I maybe? I think he was nine, yeah. Nine. And, you know, I, I'm still like the X-Files kid mm-hmm. in high school. I want to believe in these extra sensory things. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that life goes on. Um, I'm very biblical. Sure. So I do believe that life doesn't end yeah. when our corporeal form leaves, uh, leaves well, you believe the magic to move. I did. Like, I, somewhat, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I did. And so this kind, this kind of story really moved me. It, it, it connected with me. I am telling you, watching it now mm-hmm. as a parent. Yeah. Uh, I knew we were going to hit on this. Holy, like I'm I had, probably, had the same reaction. I'm going to try really hard not to tear up during yeah. this episode. <laughs> there were, there were um, a couple of parts last night where uh, the the when they fucking lock him in that closet. Oh my god! I was just beside myself last night. I was so upset and and wanted to throttle those two little assholes. Oh my god! I know. How <laughs> wanted to Tommy. leap through the movie and punch them both? Oh, dude, I know. But but it, the. The thing that really hit me as a parent now are the little moments mm-hmm. and the little moments between uh, Cole and his mom. Yeah. There's that one scene that's just so upsetting Dude. toward the end. I, I Yeah. Toward she the breaks end. down. And it, it was like she couldn't help her child. Yeah. And it's that helplessness that every, it's every parent's worst fear. Like it's not that something will happen to your child. It's the something that is, will happen to your child that you can't fix. Yes. Because stuff's going to happen, but as a parent, you're like, all right, we can get through this. And well, but she didn't know how to help them. Especially at the age that our children are right now, mm-hmm. where they can communicate, but they can't necessarily communicate fully something yeah. that's going on. Yeah, maybe they can't articulate them. some of the specific emotions. Right. So, you know, if there is something wrong where they can't tell you, they can't explain it. In this yeah. case, he doesn't want to tell her because he kind of knows the reaction maybe that yeah. she have. Or even or, maybe he'll be sent away or something. Yeah. Yeah. And his, you know, he only has his mom in his life. There's a scene where she gets upset with him at the dinner table and it's about the bumblebee pendant, yep. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he says he didn't take it. And she... That's a good scene. Oh, it that that is one that really got me. It was, it was immediately following that scene, mm-hmm. I think, um, where she gets upset with him because, you know, in her world... He's obviously moving this bumblebee pendant. And, and he's lying. He's lying straight to her face about it after she's cooked him this meal. And, yeah, you know, yeah. like, the, I, I identify with that feeling as a parent of, like, um, like just talk to me. Just tell me the truth. Just talk to me. Like, yeah. Just, and, like, when to dig in and what to, like, picking your battles. Yeah, but then also that frustration that sure. comes along sometimes. And so I identify with her. Very much there, but then also with him, like trying to explain, like maybe somebody mm-hmm. else moved it. I don't know. Yeah, man, I thought that scene was so well done because, especially for a kid that age, because you could see his struggle of like he knows it would be easier just to say I did it. Yeah, but he can't, can't because that is the lie. Exactly. And you see that little face just just struggling, and you've got a son too. It's so it's even more like. Yeah. Honed in. Um, I always tell my daughter, you know, like, don't just tell me the truth. You won't be in trouble. Yeah, that's it. Just don't fib. 
And uh, nine times out of 10, she will tell me the truth. And I'll be like, all right, let's try not do that again. But you were honest with me and that's what matters. Yeah. But, you know, she's getting to that age where sometimes they do lie and fib and, and you know they are. And it's like, it's tough to handle that stuff. You can only give lessons. You can't punish a kid. I know. For lying at that age because it's little stuff. You know, it's nothing big. Well, and what she does is she sends him away. She's like, you've had enough roast beef. Yeah. Go to, go to your room. And it's the line that he says is, the, in the way he says it, mm-hmm. what do you think? What are you thinking, mama? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> oh. He like, was so good in this. So goddamn cute. Because that, when you think, if you put yourself, and you know, and I'm, I apologize to anybody out there who doesn't have children yet. Sure. Uh, maybe who isn't identifying with this conversation. But uh, the the moment when you know your child can see frustration in your eyes. Mm-hmm. And you're you're trying very adamantly to, you know, stop that within yourself to, like, mm-hmm. not be frustrated. Um, because very, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, children, animals, adults to an extent do notice the small mm-hmm. things on your face when you're talking to them or if you're, you know, just even listening to them. Right. And... To see the way Haley plays that of looking at his mother, knowing that she's upset mm-hmm. or puzzled or something, yeah, and then just saying, you know, what, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, I'm, oh man, I don't know. That just there's a broke depth my heart. in his performance that uh, you don't see out of a kid much. Mm-hmm. Um, he was nominated for best supporting actor, yeah, which I don't think I remembered. This movie, in fact, was nominated for a lot. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Um, Did it win anything? I don't think so. I don't I – didn't, I didn't recall it winning anything. Let's jump back a sec okay, and talk yeah, a yeah. little bit more broadly about um, M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. What is your overall take on him as a director in his career? Oh, man. I was so excited about him when this first happened. Uh, when Six Sense came out. All right. What about every movie since then? <laughs> well, okay. Then, so then Unbreakable, I believe, was next, or at least that was the next one that I saw. Uh, and I actually very much enjoyed that movie um, because it was I did a, too. a bit of a superhero movie. I think that's his best movie. I mean, yeah, okay. I You know, it's tough for me to even know if that's his best movie for in my mind mm-hmm. but i remember because i haven't seen it in forever but i remember really really liking that take on a superhero a, a somewhat reluctant guy who's trying to hide the super strength and mm-hmm. invulnerability essentially that he has yeah and having to come to that realization of okay well i, I have to use this for some good yeah um and then introducing the character of glass was really cool mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, really liked that movie, the style of it again. And that, that scene, we don't have to talk about Unbreakable the whole time, but that scene when he like goes into the pool with the cover yeah, on it, yeah, just yeah. The, and that's good. one of my biggest fears, seriously. Mm. Oh, really? Falling falling into a pool with and one of those like tarps. Uh-huh. Dude, that's <laughs> terrifying to me. <laughs> so let's just tick through his movies real quick, and yeah. then I'll give you my overall uh, thoughts on him. Okay. Uh, Unbreakable, obviously, I thought that was his best film. Uh, Signs was his next film. Uh, I did not think that was very good. I liked it because of my age, I think, mm-hmm. when okay. it came out. Uh, the Village was next. That is a movie I don't think is that great. I found a way 
in to appreciate it when I talked to Aaron Mankey about it. Yes. Because it's no fun to sit around and say you hated some movie that someone loves. <laughs> I had the exact same thing occur in an early meeting with him. Uh, but, you know, I found my way in. I, I don't hate it. Um, number, the next one I think was The Happening. Not good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, w- I would say close to terrible. Uh, the Last Airbender. Didn't see terrible. it. Terrible. Didn't see it. Didn't see it, but it was supposed to be awful. Mm-hmm. The next, or I'm sorry, we missed The Lady in Water. Not good. Not for me. <laughs> After Earth, you know, one of the all-time big shit bombs. Yeah. Uh, and then we move on to the trilogy of Split. Oh, well, Unbreakable and then Split and Glass. Split I thought was okay. I Glass, actually very much enjoyed Split. Glass I thought was all right, but really, like, underwhelmed me on the promise of this final chapter in this story. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty underwhelmed. Well, you know, the, this is one of those things that I think we've kind of talked about with the Wachowski uh, team. Yeah. You come out of the gate, not out of the gate, n- neither of them made their first movie as their major hit. Right. But they became somewhat popular mm-hmm. on a massive hit. Right. And I think with M. Night, like he scored so big, yeah. he like spent so much time and effort on this movie. Mm-hmm. All of the pieces, the cast, the writing, everything just seemed to come together and it made something very special. Yeah. And, you know, you try and do it again with Unbreakable and you kind of get there. We bring Bruce back. You, you know, do yeah. some of the same things. But then as you keep continuing down that road of trying to tell a new story, mm-hmm. um, it's just none of it resonated, I don't think. I forgot about The Visit. I did not see that. That was the kind of smaller thriller horror movie he did four years ago. I did see that. It had something to do with kids and their grandparents. Yeah, I think it was okay. I I heard it was one of his better films, and it really flew under the radar. And I remember critics saying, like, this is a good movie. He kind of came back and did something, uh, you know, left these big, huge movies like Last Airbender and uh, After Earth, these huge, big budget things to do something a little more, you know, yeah, rootsy. There, there were moments uh, – he captured the dread that you feel in The Sixth Sense mm-hmm. in that movie a little bit. So here's my deal with him, <laughs> and I'm just going to be honest. I don't think he's a very good filmmaker. Really? Overall. Okay. Most of those movies are not very good. Um, yeah. Huh. He, I think, is – I don't think he's t- – I think he does some things very well. I think he's really, really good at – Mood and tone and atmosphere and setting and certain visuals and certain moments are really very effective and pretty awesome and inventive. Um, you can't argue the the great twist in Sixth Sense. Uh, I know he twisted it up in a lot of other movies to lesser success. Um, so I think he's really good at certain things. But I think overall, he's just not that great of a filmmaker, and I'm kind of surprised he has retained all this currency after making a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Um, I hate the cameos. Okay. Let, I'm not a fan of – that's just never a good idea to me, <laughs> unless you're Hitchcock and you're just like walking through a scene. All right, all right, there, there are several things I want to talk about here. The first one, let's do the cameos because in The Sixth Sense, that's the first time we see M. Night on screen, mm-hmm. and he plays a doctor. Yes talking to Cole's mother mm-hmm. and he's explaining to her 
like, you know, it wasn't a seizure. We're not really sure what right. it was, but we did notice the injuries mm-hmm. on your son. Right. And you're going to have to talk to the social worker over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just watched a an early interview with him after The Sixth Sense came out. And he is talking about his cameo. Mm-hmm. So he has always wanted to be an actor. Okay. And I didn't I didn't know this about him. All right. Honestly, I'd never looked this deeply into it. He at least says, you know, my whole family are doctors. Right. I knew and that was kind of an homage to his parents. Yeah. So uh-huh. he was like, well, I'm going to kind of play this character. It's like maybe an alter ver- alternate version of me mm-hmm. that may have existed. Um, and I want to be an actor. I'm learning about it. I'm interested in it. And I want to get better. So I'm going to put do this role. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was a long scene. It was a big scene. Oh, really? And he, he cut it way down. He cut it way down because he was he was unhappy with her his performance. He's yeah. like, I just couldn't get there. Tony Collette is giving so much in this scene. Yeah. Boy, she's good in this. And like, I just can't. Yeah, I can't compete with that, and uh, I can't even like flow with it. Um, so that to me is somewhat admirable. Like he chose he was going to be in there, and rather than just putting that whole scene out there, mm-hmm. no matter what, because to get some more screen time or something, mm-hmm. um, he did cut it way back. And I, that's that kind of decision that hopefully it was his decision. Well, at least um, he showed some some uh, uh, restraint there. And like a Tarantino would be like, no, put more of me in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, then he continues throughout his film career to just be in his films. Yeah. At least once. But yeah. I think it's always once, um, which is fine. You know, is I it, don't know. I'm not a fan of the director cameo. I just don't think it ever works. The few times it has worked is like, Martin Scorsese as the cab uh, uh, patron and uh, cab fare and taxi driver. It's all because that was just sort of disturbing. Yes, it's disturbing, but it's also it's about believability for me. Yeah, like if I if I can see if I notice there's the director on screen, it takes me out of it. It generally does, but yeah. but if if like the first line that comes out or something is like makes me believe already that mm-hmm. it's somebody different or it's a character. Um, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But yeah, it does feel like a weird little thing to do. If you're, if you're, a, I don't know. I don't know either, man. It, it, <laughs> it, to me, it's indulgent and kind of vain. Um, well, okay. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just don't think it's ever a good, good look. I hear you. That's I just my you. take. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another one that really worked for me. I mean, I thought Tarantino, as far as his cameos go, um, <laughs> I thought he was pretty good in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And that wasn't a cameo. He was just kind of in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it felt better because he was just in that first – he was in the opening scene. Yeah. The cameo feels to me stunty more when it's like midway point in the movie. It's like here I am for my 30-second scene. It just always takes me out of it. Yeah. But, well, you know, whatever. I, I want to get back to the twist. Okay. Because that that's the thing that sticks with everybody. That yeah. that line, I see dead people, the realization like the ring falling mm-hmm. off, uh, or the the wife Bruce Willis's wife dropping the ring and right. then him seeing it and realizing, Oh wait, I'm not it's wearing not a wedding hand. ring. Um th- that's the things that we remember, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, when we when we go back and watch this and millions of people went back to the theater and watched it again. Yeah. And the numbers show it because the yep. The first weekend they made like twenty six, twenty seven million, mm-hmm. twenty seven million. The second we- weekend they made twenty six point eight million. Yeah, that's a nice carryover. Like that's unheard of. Serious. Yeah, and you know people were going back to catch all the nuances. And when you, if you go back and you rewatch it and you really think about all of those scenes where it's Bruce Willis and his wife, mm-hmm. or 
um, Bruce Willis sitting in the living room while the mother is sitting across from him mm-hmm. and Cole enters, mm-hmm. you don't question whether or not they were just having a conversation in your mind. Oh, they were just sitting there talking. Mm-hmm. If you're, it's your first viewing. Sure. You don't question when Tony Collette or uh, Cole's mom yeah. says, Hey, you've got an hour. When she, as she's walking away right. during that scene, you're like, oh, that's how long a session yeah, usually lasts. That's right. Um, you know, I in particular know this because my wife is a child psychologist. Yeah. Which is another level, by the way, that's hitting on this movie for me. Yeah. Um, but you, you don't think about it at the dinner scene on the anniversary. Right. When the wife is sitting there and like clearly upset with him. Uh-huh. But you rewatch it and you realize, oh, my God, like, holy crap. How did this scene function on two levels the entire time? Yeah. Like, that's pretty masterful to me. It, he, uh, he did a pretty good job. Here's my deal. Oh, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. 
I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I watched this last night for the second time. Admired a lot of parts of it. Overall, it didn't work for me that well upon second viewing. Maybe it's a little cynicism creeping in, but I did that thing where uh, I started to uh, investigate the uh, Grand Canyon size holes in this movie. Yeah. Which you're not, you know, you got to really, really check out on this one, and which I'm able to do a lot of times. Like I remember, I saw The Quiet Place, and that movie is famous for its plot holes. And I was like, you know, I just went with it. Yeah. But upon second viewing, I started to get annoyed last night at how dumb you have to be to accept <laughs> these plot holes. <laughs> oh, all right. Just give me a couple examples. Like, just talk to me. He's dead. Like, okay. How did he get in that house to take that first meeting? Did Tony Collette ma- – because he doesn't know he's dead. Yeah. You know, how did he set up the appointment? He's a dead guy. When he walks into the anniversary uh, dinner, he goes, oh, I thought you meant the other Italian restaurant. Like, what conversation is he referencing? Hmm. How about the fact that he has literally not been spoken to by a human being for like a year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but nobody else has talked to him. Not at all. Well, you know, every the, every store he goes into, every he's been living with this woman as his wife, and the presumption is she hasn't spoken to him in six months or whatever. <laughs> Yet he's just like, oh man, I'm having some marriage troubles here. <laughs> oh so like, God. there is it, it occurred to me that there's so much suspension of disbelief. It just overweighed the film. Just too much for me. Okay, there's a line. <laughs> there, there's a line that Bruce Willis says where he. Mentions that I've just been losing time or I've, or I've been time – something about losing time or forgetting okay. time or like missing time. Like he he's specifically referencing that it's almost as if he is just kind of appearing or like he uh-huh. just exists in these places or he just kind of – his his consciousness awakes when he's sitting in that chair yeah. with Tony Collette. And then like – then he's like in the chapel sitting with Haley Joel Osment yeah. or, you know, that's the way it seems like – the, and it kind of would make sense the way the ghosts, the other ghosts that, that Haley Joel Osment or Cole experiences in the movie, mm-hmm. it just gets cold all of a sudden and they're there. Yeah. Right? That's the way That's the way it functions. Right. The other thing is, why is Haley Joel Osment never cold like when- I Bruce read Willis about that now? actually. Okay, tell me about it. <laughs> because that was another thing that bothered me. But uh, apparently he said it's, he just- it, the cold just happens when they are there and they need something from him. So it's okay. a very kind of quick thing or something like that. When they are trying to get his attention? Maybe. Or, or yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of other people try to explain, like, I think M. Night put lines like, they only see what they want to see. Yes. And they're to sort of explain away some of Bruce Willis's stuff. But it yeah. still doesn't discount the fact that he's not been spoken to by another human since he died that night, and that's just you can't. I just couldn't check it at the door at this time. I'm thinking about him walking into the restaurant to see his <laughs> wife on two occasions, I believe, 
and he like just walks right past the host sure. or the hostess, well, I guess. There she is. She's already got the table. So he just walks right in, sits down, doesn't order anything. But when he referenced the like, oh, I thought you meant the other Italian restaurant. It's like, what is he talking about then? I guess you could presume that maybe she wrote it down in a calendar in their house or something. I don't know, man. It's all a reach for me now. <laughs> but that did not ruin the film for me. Um, I will knock it for that, and I will knock it for uh, what I like to call film school stuff. Yeah, There were a few scenes where, to me, it was clearly a rookie filmmaker. Um, I was astounded that he got nominated for Best Director. I think everyone was sort of – it was a bit of a smokescreen because it was this big cultural hit. Yeah. Because to me, directorially, there were a lot of kind of rookie film schooly things that he did. Um the scene that jumps out as me is the scene where uh, sh- the couple is shopping for a wedding ring. Yeah. And it's just so poorly done and ham-fisted and hokey. Yeah. I just – I had a lot of Whoa. problems. Uh, what, what did you think about that <laughs> shot inside the like the jewelry box kind of – or the cabinet? Because the shot's I hated actually... it. <laughs> there were a few shots that I hated that I was like, film school student. But yeah. the very opening of the movie when their whole thing is ref- they're them reflected in his award, yeah. I didn't like that either. Yeah. It just seemed very sort of, well, I'm making up my first film, so I'm going to do all these, you know. The scene where the Tony Collette, you see her framed through the the uh, d- doily, the, the lacy thing. Yeah. I hated that. Oh, Chuck. I know, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wanted to come in here and be like, this movie is magic still. Okay. But I had a lot of problems, and Emily was sort of in my ear, too. was like, what is that shit? That's Film School 101. Oh, So man. that may have influenced me, too. Well, see, but here, here's my thing. I wonder how much of that um, how much of that is because of your experience and your understanding of, like, deep understanding of filmmaking. Maybe. And 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 I wonder how many other people... But you people, had that too and you loved it. I do. Well, I do. I, I Here's my thing. I identified a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. I did not love the stuff that you're talking about. Okay. Fair um, enough. But for me in this movie, the the place that is taking me tonally, I'm almost... I'm not. I'm honestly not paying that much attention mm-hmm. to the cinematography. Yeah, I'm so heavily invested in the characters that are in there. Yeah, sure. Something like that scene with the jewelry store didn't do anything for me and kind of takes me out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not because of the cinematography necessarily. It's because we're dealing with these characters in this moment that just feels like it's unnecessary. Yeah, but it was very um, corny. I don't see why it was even in well, there. Well, the problem here's the thing: they they almost didn't flesh out, or they it's almost Let's say 2% fleshed out uh, Malcolm's wife's character. Very, like, very true. Right? And so, I think it suffers because of that. Yeah. And I want to believe that there is something else written in there that's going to give us more of an understanding Maybe. of her. Or what she's cut going out. Through. But it's really just, um, you know, her husband dies. She's sad. She's got this guy that she works with that's interested in her. Mm-hmm. And Who, I love that guy, by the way, that actor. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's great. Well, yeah, he, I mean... He does his thing in this movie. It's very quick. Like this, his two he's not in it much. He was in flirting with disaster and yes. uh, the ice storm and I. I it's just um, you know, infidelity is one of those things that's always bothered me my whole life. Like yeah. just the concept of it is one of those like upper Same. echelon. Like there's murder and then infidelity for me. <laughs> those are that's I'm like, kind of there that's, too, man. That's my yeah. thing, and 
you know, when I first watched this movie, it bothered me so much. That character, I was just like, oh, this son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, there's that moment that we're talking about, that scene where they look like they're about to kiss, like it's about to be a moment yeah. on that little couch. While that couple is still hanging out in the in the store, uh-huh. which was weird to me because it looks like they just moved a little bit away like just to the back of the store that was still connected yeah, to the yeah, store. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're about to have this tender moment. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Bruce Willis smashes the window. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, smash that window, dude. Um, but then also, how did he smash that window? Well, that's the rules of this movie are hard to understand because if he can interact physically with the world, um, then he can open doors and walk into a restaurant and, how he got into Tony Collette's house, I'll still never figure out. <laughs> Did he knock and then she opened it? And she's like, "No one's here," and he just like, because he thinks he's alive. Like I can't it yeah, bother he, me so much. If he thinks he's alive and he just followed her in and didn't say anything, sat next to her and didn't speak, he didn't get paid for his time. And how was that got him appointment set up? <laughs> Where did that come from? Oh God! Uh, uh, I need a ghost to come over and talk with my son. Do you have anyone you can send? <laughs> Um, so here's what I think happened. I think M. Night figured out this great twist. He's making the, writing this film. Mm-hmm. I think he probably shows it to some people, and some people might have said, but hold on a minute. Like, what about the fact that no one's spoken to this guy, and how does he even get in these rooms? And uh, I think he was probably like, you know what? No one's going to think about that shit because yeah. they're going to be so engrossed with these the film and these characters and this great twist. It'll It'll – you know, a movie's kind of like a scale sometimes that's tipping one way or the other. And sure, some of this stuff might not work, but the scale will be tipped further in favor uh, because of these this, the great acting and the great tone. And, like, people won't think about that. Or even better, they'll go back and see it another time and be mad. Like yeah. box office dollars. But, you know, the public clearly has answered the bell and people love this movie. Yeah. In that interview – Knight, uh, as yes. he's referred to. Oh, is uh, they people call him Knight? People just call him Knight. They don't call him M? Just, uh, sometimes <laughs> maybe, but they call him Knight. Uh, at least in this, he refers to himself as Knight. Yeah, I think like, I knew that. Um, he talks about wanting to create that cultural phenomenon movie. Yeah. He wanted to do it. And he, he wasn't sure that this was going to be it. He was hoping it was uh-huh. going to be it. Um, and then it it became that. Um, man. You know the guy that, that Greenlit that's got fired? Really? Very famously, yeah. This guy read the script at Disney, flipped over it, and, like, made a $3 million deal, very big deal. And everyone was so mad at him at Disney, he got fired. And then they sold the rights to um, another company because they're like, who is this guy? And you and you allowed him to sign on as a director, like, as part of the deal. <laughs> be fucking crazy. And then it goes on to be this huge hit. Academy Award nominee, like, six nominations. Wow. Uh, cultural zeitgeist. I, and Disney's like, dang it! I Probably. wonder. I wonder. Um, I wonder what it would have looked like if Disney, like, was over it, and uh, maybe got a different director in there or something. Yeah, or 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 maybe even just had a little more control at the know. table. Um, you know, with the edit or with some of the production. I mean, beyond besides some of the film school stuff, I love the setting. Yeah. Uh, the, the, those neighborhoods in Philadelphia, the fall. Uh, he really creates an atmosphere that works, I think. Uh, I think the score was great. I think a lot of the cinematography was good when he wasn't trying to be show-offy. Yeah. Um, 
so a lot of the movie worked for me. That that beginning, that opening scene with Donnie Wahlberg. Who, yeah, let's talk about that. I didn't even remember. Uh, I remember rather being shocked at who that was when I first saw it. And I told Emily last night, I was like, you know, that's Donnie Wahlberg. She's yeah. like, no. I said, yeah, look at his face. Yeah. That's him. He was fucking outstanding. And that scene was really good. I know. And a great way to, open, well, not quite open the film because they had that, the schmaltzy uh, beginning. Where she, where the first... he got the award and she's, yeah. you know, all that stuff, which you needed, I guess, to establish, you know, their relationship. You did. But the the, the film to me really starts with this fucking scary scene. Yeah. There's a guy in our house and he's a former patient who yes. was like not doing well mentally. And and how's he introduced? With uh, that shadow. Oh, yeah. Like you see the broken oh, window. yeah. And that's what he's really good at, I think. Um, he just nails certain moments so well uh, as a filmmaker. He just never fully put it all together for me. But he's so good at certain things. That was truly chilling. Yeah. When that shadow and that sound, that... Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, go, yeah, I got chills right now thinking about it. <laughs> it was really well done and just intense and scary. And Donnie Wahlberg was great. Dude, his performance. I didn't realize he lost 40 plus pounds yeah, for that. Yeah, just for that little role. And and it was like, it was crazy. Donnie, apparently, according to M. Night Shyamalan, he wanted to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and N- Knight was like, it's so funny to say that. Knight was like, um, yeah, but you're just like. You're big, dude. You're yeah, like you're a, Donnie you're big, man. Yeah. Like I, I, we're looking for you know scrawny guy, yeah, uh, kind of emaciated. And he's like, I'm gonna lose some weight. I'll, I'll get back to you. Wow. Donnie comes back 40, 43 or something. Yeah, forty three pounds. Pounds, and he's just like, uh, and you gotta, give him, you gotta give him the part then, dude. Well, yeah, and my Sean was like, I didn't recognize him when he came in. Yeah, and he, like it looks like this guy I've imagined, and I think that's worked. the key. He has to disappear uh, because, at, of course, now it's no big deal. But back then, you know, Donnie Wahlberg was. Sort of a big cultural reference point for some people. Well, yeah, and now you know Wahlburgers is just taken off, and um, they got one in Atlanta now. They I know. Just one. He was just here. Marky Mark was. A who? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Who? who? <laughs> what about well, Donnie? Can we, can we talk about Donnie's nipple ring though? Did he have one in the movie? He has a nipple ring. Oh, I didn't notice. My why? I didn't. It, I didn't even think about it. Uh-huh. My wife goes, "Huh? He's got a nipple ring." <laughs> last night. <laughs> I didn't like, notice oh. that either. Um, he was truly great in that movie, in that scene, though, and it was oh, uh, that line, it was chilling and scary and tense. Uh, it really like uh, was a powerful way to kind of open your set your plot in motion. I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, uh, and it, you know, the next fall shows of Bruce Willis sitting on the bench. And I'm I'm not one of these people that's going to retroactively say like, yeah, I kind of figured it out. Like I had no idea that twist truly knocked me on my ass and had all the effect that he intended the first time I saw it. Didn't see it coming. I thought it was great. Same. Um, I still think it's a really good plot twist. Uh, I wasn't thinking about those holes back then. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, In my late 20s. Yeah, I still don't think about them. Let, let's talk about... No, I don't of, want you to think about them. I, 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 really I don't want don't. to taint your experience. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the spirits that he encounters. Yeah, all really scary stuff. The, Even though this movie, I would argue, is a drama, yeah, uh, with some elements of horror, definitely, and sus- yeah, that suspense, yeah. thing. Um, but so I think it's the oh god, I forgot about the scene. I've totally forgot about the scene mm-hmm. when I was rewatching it. 
where the mom is doing laundry. She's getting some food ready for Cole and yep. his tie, something's on his tie, like smudge or something on his tie. So she takes the tie in a single mm-hmm. shot that doesn't cut, Yeah, takes it over to the laundry room, which is the next room over, puts like switches it out for a different one, yep. comes back in and all the cabinets have been opened up. And yes. um, man, that was so great. And, she screams. Yeah, she screams. Yeah, that's – again, that's super effective and very easy. Like – Yeah. It's not some big special effects thing or a monster. It's just open drawers and cabinets. Yes. And, you know, the effect – if you – the effective thing there is the sound design to me. Like – and I know it's pretty easy. You just cut all that sound and you just fully in all the other stuff. But yeah. But it, it sounded so real. I did not – break for a second thing. Oh, that's a, that's 80 yard or anything like right. that. Because you know, it had to be the yeah. whole thing had to be because there are, there's a whole team of people in there opening cabinets in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are. It's a bunch of PAs um, in our department, like open, open. God, but the way Cole is sitting when she enters back in, mm-hmm. Cole's sitting there with his hands flat on the table. Yeah. And just looking at his mom. With food in front of him that he's not touching. And the way he's talking so quietly. Yeah. Um, again, again, it kind of moved me like, yeah, that's, he uses that same line. What you thinking, mama? I know. But that little voice, man, he was so cute. Dude. And then he leaves and there's just this, the condensation sweat on the table. So what is that? Is that just part of the fear? I think that's what that's showing you. So that's not supernatural. I don't think so. I think that's just showing you like how scary Sweaty palm or whatever. And maybe it did get really cold uh-huh. for a moment, just for a moment right. when that character was there. And what we find out, the woman that was there was like, um, I I don't think we ever get to meet her again in the story. We see her one time in her bathrobe in the house. Yes. Which was so scary. Dude. Where she When he goes into pee in the middle of the night. He, yeah. Yeah. He, he thinks it's his mom in the kitchen. And another camera crossing. Yep. Yeah. And she just turns around and she's like yelling about her husband. He has a weird name too. Yeah, yeah. Forget the name. I mean, this like, movie gets it's it's about the fifty minute mark. That it's a bit of a long setup, and about the fifty minute mark, I looked on the timer is when they really start appearing, and this movie kind of gets pretty scary. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like every reveal. Like I, th- I thought, all that stuff was really well done. The the boy that says, "You want to show you know, me show you where my dad hides his gun," and then turns. he turns around, his head's the back of his head's blown out. Ugh. Like fucking, that's tough, man. Yeah, scary and like gut wrenching for a parent, obviously. And and in that moment, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Oh wow, this house must be haunted or something," because there are ghosts all in here. Like she must have yeah. slid her wrists in the bathtub or something. Yes. He must have like found that gun in that lit in that room where uh-huh. he lives, where the kid stays yeah. right now. You're like, that house has got some bad juju. <laughs> yeah. Well, then the girl comes in. And, oh, yeah, Misha, little Misha Barton, right? Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. She was good. Now, yeah, let's talk about that because that's where he learns the very important um, uh, part of his world, which is they're after something. I can help them. Like, he, he has a... He is charged with helping these people. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm... Yeah, I think it's Bruce Willis in the scene before that. Isn't it Bruce Willis saying something like, "What it, I think what you need to do is listen to them. Yeah, or yeah. Something like that. Yes, um, talk back to them or listen to them. Yeah. Like interact with them instead of just running away or being scared or whatever. And then this little kid who's been terrified of them this whole time. Yeah. It's a dead person. Yeah. Who has died 
pretty horrendously. Like this, when she shows up that in that reveal, tent, man. yeah, like he thinks he's safe. He's in his tent with all his religious memorabilia. It's a really bright red tent, by the way. Remember that? Yeah, his uses of red are pretty. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. and it just starts popping on the top. Like, yeah, again, man, he he can really looking at yeah, it. Yeah, that's really scary <sighs> when that tent's coming open. And she's just sitting there with vomit coming out of her mouth. Yeah. Well, breakfast cereal, but sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess it was it was breakfast cereal, wasn't it? It was the I, thing. I think I looked that up. Yeah, it was breakfast okay. cereal. But she, um, the reveal there was great, I Dude. think. And chilling the, uh, at the, you know, that funeral scene where the dad is, Ooh. he delivers that VHS. I'm getting chills again thinking about yep. it. And he sees that his mom has been, or her mom has been poisoning her. It's like that was really that was really great, I think. Dude. Again, parts of this movie I thought were so well done. Have you heard of the Netflix show The Stranger? Uh is that the Patricia Arquette thing? E- no. No, 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 that's another one. This uh it's called The Stranger. It's British. It's no. um I just watched the whole thing. Like I is seriously a, a two a days. Series? Yeah, it's a series. Two days I binged the entire thing. A stranger. Wait um, a minute. Maybe I do know that. I'm I'm only saying this because Munchausen by proxy enters into that story as well. Um the concept of like keeping yeah, that, your child that, sick or a loved one sick. Um That was in uh the Amy Adams show too that was out not too long ago. That was part of the, the plot. That's true. Yeah, we, and we've covered that on stuff you should know. It's really tough. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I remember the that. The Stranger. I don't think I know this movie or it, this uh, show. It just popped on there. I don't know anything about it mm-hmm. besides I very much enjoyed it. Um, oh, this a, is new. Yeah, it's got a great cast and the writing is pretty solid. All right. Anyway, I would say check it out. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, to, to jump back, I want to talk, where's the other... It was the other moment of a spirit that he sees. Oh, God. Okay, let's talk about this scene. And I want to find out if you're going to tear it apart at all. <laughs> uh, we've already kind of mentioned it. But it's right towards the end. Uh-huh. Before the massive reveal. It's when, it's the scene when Cole finally tells his mom what's going on. Mm, yeah. They're in the car. Traffic is stopped oh, on that yeah, little yeah, road. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. The first thing we see is there's clearly been an accident. Uh-huh. There's a, an ambulance, I think. and Yeah, traffic's deadlocked. And... We the camera just kind of follows down the line of cars until we get to their the mom's car. Uh-huh. Cole's in there, and he's just kind of looking out his passenger side window. Yeah. And the mom's frustrated. The, he just did. Cole just performed in this play, uh-huh. which was like he finally got the moment that he yeah. talks about in the beginning, where he gets raised up like a hero. Yeah, yeah. Because he was the hero of the play. Uh-huh. And it's just this beautiful moment for him. Bruce Willis was watching him in the middle of the aisle, by the way. He's always in the middle of the aisle. It's funny. I, last night when that came on, I said, what the fuck is he doing? Why is he standing there in the middle of the aisle? <laughs> that made me, I, I giggled at that because he did it. I think he did it several times where he's just in the middle of the aisle. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah it was I guess funny. I'm in the theater now. Yeah. Well, that's safe for the ghosts, you know. Yeah. No one, and the, everyone can see through them, so. Yes. So the mom is explaining that she's really sorry that she wasn't there. Uh, she wished she would have been at the play, but yeah. she couldn't make it. Um, he's like, yeah, no, it's okay, mom. I, I get it. Um, and then he, she mentioned something like, I hope nobody got hurt yes. in the accident that has and he clearly said someone occurred. did get hurt. He's yeah. like, "How do you know?" And she starts looking up there. Dude, and he's I, got that great line. I think I wrote this whole thing down here. Yeah. Let's um, hear it. Maddie, he, Maddie reenactments. These are great. Well, no, no, I'm not going to reenact <laughs> it. But he he says, 
just quietly, um, I'm ready to communicate with you now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. And and she's like, communicate? Like, and it's actually great, like, the way she's like, communicate? Because he's talking <laughs> to the lady, right? She, he's talking to a, Oh. Or is, I, I, I think, took that as he's talking to the dead lady. Ooh, I don't know. I thought he was talking to his mom. Oh, okay. As setting up, like, that. Like, I'll tell you what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm ready to tell you. And, right. and You're probably right. But he used the word communicate. Yeah, which and is funny. I love that she was like, really? Yeah, communicate? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a funny little parent moment. Yeah, it was just, uh, that was nice. But um, he immediately just says, you know, you know that accident up there? Someone got hurt. She's like, they did? A lady, she died. And she's like, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Like, like, first of all, my young child is talking about death. Right. Which is never... Uh, a fun conversation. It's always it's generally difficult. Yeah, at least Ruby's in my been experience. talking about that a lot lately. My it's son a thing. too. Yeah, um, Halloween did it this year. Oh, really? He just like something clicked, and I'm he not was... sure exactly what it was. It may have been um, her grandmother uh, Emily's mom. One of their dogs died, and so that may have been it. Our when my dog passed, we touched on it, but he was pretty young. So. But she's starting to say some really sad things, like you know, when I get older, you know, Grand Grand will be dead. Oh. And when older, but she also says things like, you know, when older people die, they they go back to being babies. So it's interesting. Whoa. Yeah. Like Mork style. I don't know. Maybe she's got the gift. <laughs> but it's really <laughs> sad stuff. Well, and so I try to diffuse it just by saying, you know, like, oh, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Yeah. Like, grain generally, grains, that's what I try and do. Deflect a little bit. Let's yeah, talk like, about that's this true. book. <laughs> you know, that's really true. They People die, but yeah. you don't have to worry about that stuff right now. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. But... but he just explains, she's like, what, can you see her? Mm-hmm. Where is she? And she's like, he's like standing next to my window. Yeah, that and was she, great. She starts to, you know, is my son crazy? Like uh-huh. you, you can see it in her face, in her performance. Like, yeah. What is happening here? And, she, you know, you're scaring me. And he says, they scare me too sometimes. Yeah. Just I feel the, like she almost believes him a little bit too. It's Yeah, it's both, right? She's teetering on, yeah, the, yeah. Teetering on the edge. She like, was fantastic in this movie. Dude, but then they just, he goes through and ends up mentioning grandma. Right. About the bumblebee pendant that that was That's such a big right. deal earlier. Uh-huh. And she's like, grandma says she's sorry for moving the, bu- for taking the bumblebee pendant. She just really likes it uh, or she loves it. And, and then he told the whole story that like he wouldn't know. Yes. About because her when she was younger. Just like how the mom missed his play. Mm-hmm. The grandmother, I guess, uh, missed must have missed a lot of performances of her daughter. Yeah. And grandma apparently just says, no, I, I did. I saw her dance. Like, or I tell her I saw her dance. Yeah. Because I was there. I snuck in. I was in the back of the theater and I watched the whole thing. Stood in the middle of the aisle. Yep. <laughs> and she said, you were like an angel. Yeah. And dude, I just was like. Oh, dude, Emily was falling. <laughs> yeah. I looked over and she was like, I can't even take it. That was a great scene. Dude, I, this is, I'm going to find, I'm going to finish it. She said, you came to the place where they buried her. Uh-huh. And asked her a question. She said, the answer is every day. Yeah. You all right, Matt? Yeah, dude, I'm okay. You hanging Sorry. in there? I'm hanging in there. It was just like, oh God. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't I would remember. be crying right now too, if it not for the plot holes. <laughs> That has made me a little uh, bit dead inside. <laughs> oh, God, Chuck. <laughs> now, that was a really well done scene. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. And I think there were, again, so much of this movie, I think, was was great. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, I'm not like, oh, God, that movie. I like, didn't like it 20 years on. I did. Um, can we talk about the stuttering Stanley scene? Yeah. Because online there is a rich world of theories. Really? Yeah, because how does he know that he was stuttering Stanley is the whole thing. And you don't really think about that. No, you don't. Could be another plot hole. Kind of is, but I think it leaves it open-ended to figure it out because he never goes back and explains that. And there was one theory I saw on Reddit that um, it wasn't some crazy out there Reddit thing. It was just very matter-of-fact. Uh, this dude was like, 
well, I think this guy was bullied and killed one of his bullies. And that's how uh, Haley Joel that's how Cole gets this information. Whoa. Uh, and it was just very simple. And a lot of people are like, this actually makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's not outlandish. And it, it totally could be the deal. But they, he didn't go back and like flashback to a scene of him being bullied and like hitting a kid with a brick or something in the playground. Yeah. Um, but that whole thing is kind of weird because he he also has that part backstage where you see the teacher who was burned. Talks about the fire. And he talked about the fire. So I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, but how did he know he was stuttering Stanley? That is a good question. It was a good scene. Question. It was very intense. Oh, yeah. Uh, and well well played, I think. But it was another one of those moments where immediately I was like, wait, I never thought about it the first time. But last night I was like, wait a minute, how does he know he's stuttering Stanley? Yeah, because well, he can see dead people. He was a straight up murderer. Maybe he set Maybe. that fire. Well, that was another one of the theories. That's it was crazy. That he, set a, he set the fire that burned that teacher. Um, and he still got a job there. Maybe. I don't know. That scene was great, though, because that was when the idea that the school had dead people. Yes. And he was like, no, this wasn't. People weren't hanged here. And he saw that great shot of those three, like, colonial uh, era people In the hanging gym. there. Yeah, that was really good. Whew. Again, I'm getting chills. All over the place. Well, and for me, it's the way uh, Haley Joel Osment, and it's either the directing or the performance, but he's standing looking perpendicularly yes. to the gymnasium entrance up those stairs uh -huh. and just talking. He's never looking at them. He knows they're there. He, like, glanced them and saw them. Yeah, that was a good shot. He's speaking to Bruce Willis's character in front of him uh -huh. the whole time. Uh, that just made it more intense for me. Yeah. Uh, it's a good choice. There are a lot of good choices in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, and again, I think he, he, I think he's, as a filmmaker, his, my deal is, is with him is he has so much promise that I think he hasn't fully realized. Like, even though I liked Unbreakable the best, I think I like it best because th it has the fewest amount of things that I didn't like gotcha. rather than. Boy, it was this amazing film. I understand. Like that. every other movie of his, I'm like, oh man, that's that didn't quite work. This doesn't quite work. Yeah, I liked a lot of the village parts Me too. of it. Me too. But there were some pretty big plot holes in that one too. That I just, you know, you're. I think he counts on you to really just roll past those. Dude, you're so right. For me, the first time I saw The Village, I remember really liking it. I loved it the first time I saw it. I liked it, it a lot more the first time too. It was the second time. When I started to realize, and I was trying to read it the way I read The Sixth Sense, mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, let's put all of these pieces together right. that, like to see the full picture. Yeah. And I was just going, wait a second. All the, like the whole movie, I'm going, hold, wait, what? Yeah. But again, like tone and atmosphere, the use yeah. of color, like he's really, really great at that stuff. Yeah. My gosh. Um, what was it Bruce Willis heard on that cassette tape? The Latin thing. I didn't quite follow that. Oh. Um, what was that all about? Was that the one where... I might have zoned out for a minute. Is this the cassette tape where he goes back and he realizes that Vincent was somehow hearing dead people? Is that what you're talking about? I guess. It, it was like an old interview with Vincent. The yeah, and I couldn't understand what, what was being said. Okay, so it first it sounds like Spanish. Yes. Uh, and then you realize, okay, it is Spanish. And what he's saying in Spanish is, I don't want to die or um, okay, I don't want to die or I don't want to be dead. So, But it, I don't want to die is the way it's said. Right. Um, 
and he's just hearing this and he's just like, whoa. And I guess that is Bruce Willis's character's realization that both Vincent, who was exhibiting very similar mm -hmm. symptoms as Cole was, like realizing it was the same thing and Malcolm was unable to help Vincent right. at the time because so he is, didn't believe yeah. it. This or, is his redemption. Yeah, I didn't know, but that's that real moment where he figures it out. But it's weird to me. I guess it would make sense if you're talking about electronic voice phenomena, like maybe there's a ghost voice recorded on this thing. Because is that what you hear? Like with, with an EVP? No, no, no. In the, in the cassette, do you just hear Vincent? You, or doesn't he Vincent, turn it up and hear some other thing? Yeah, yeah. You hear Vincent breathing, like, and kind of having a panic attack of sorts. Is that what that is? And then he turns it way up and you can hear the guy speaking in Spanish saying, I don't want to die. I don't oh, die. okay. All right. I'm sorry. I get it now. Yeah. So that was what he turned it up and heard was there was presumably a Spanish ghost. There, Yeah. There was another voice I know that in the room. <laughs> <laughs> there was another voice in the room with Vincent when he he left the room. Like everybody was okay, gone. Okay, it was okay. Vincent in one of those not an interrogation room, but you know, right, an interview yes. room. Yes. In a clinical setting probably. And yeah. Okay. I, I think I must have zoned out for a minute last night. That makes much more sense now. Unless it was, you know And, and that's a cool little plot point too, I think. Yeah. But you know, it could have been a staff member or another patient somewhere just talking. With, no, we, we we work with mics a lot. You can like there are people all around us right now. We're in this tiny little room. There uh -huh. are people walking and talking all around us right now. Oh, that's true. And if you turn this up enough, you if you hear. just if we were just silent for a second, yeah, you could hear Noel farting in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what you could hear? Oh goodness, maybe dead people. Um, I guess let's talk about the end a bit. Yeah, and the. You know, the reveal scene, this, I think yeah. it holds up. This is what I, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you. We talked in Fight Club about the reveal montage. Right, yeah, yeah. This has a very similar reveal montage. Yeah, where you go back and kind of show the reality of what you'd already seen. How, how does this compare to you? I like this one more. I okay. think Remember, I think the Fight Club one bothered me a bit. This one doesn't bother me as much. It's, um, it's a bit of a trope, but it, like, I think it kind of worked for this movie. Gotcha. Because it really is a movie where, especially the first time you see it, it it pays off to see those things happen again in a pretty good way. Where you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, she was by herself in that restaurant, and he's you know he's he's always by himself, or I mean, they're always by themselves. Yes, because he's not yes. really there. I I thought I, it worked, and it was it, it. I think it was good. I would agree with you. I actually was viewing it this time thinking about the way you felt about the Fight Club scene. Oh, really? And I was just going, I was... They do marry each other. I didn't think about that. It's weird. It's weirdly similar. Yeah. These two movies that just trick you, that came out the same year. Yeah, but that's the thing. If they didn't invent it. That's, I know they didn't invent it, but these are like the two, well, two well, of the yeah. biggest movies that year. True, and they both had a very similar convention. Yeah, it's interesting Ghost to me. person. Brad Pitt? <laughs> Meet Bruce Willis. <laughs> Have they ever been in a movie together? Oh, God. Um, what is the 12 Monkeys? Oh, yeah. Oh, my Lord. There you go. Oh. Ooh, that's a, what year was that? It uh, must have been earlier, but when... Was that 1999? No, no, no. No? No, it can't be. I'm going to look Has that anybody up, done that movie on this show? No, I feel like that was one of your... On, on your list. Definitely. That would definitely 95. be... 95. Yeah. That's all right. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> 95, also a big year for me. Um, I thought the... 
I thought the reveal worked though, even upon second viewing. Um, it, it holds up, I think. I liked the. I really liked the way they got into it with the ring falling. Yeah, like coming into the house again. We keep seeing him just kind of hover around his wife, not talking to her. Yeah. Um, and who is it? I think it was Cole says right before this scene, or like two scenes before he says, I figured out a way you can talk to your wife. Wait until she's asleep. That's right. And, you know, just tell her everything you want to tell her uh-huh. and she'll hear you. Um, but, you know, she'll And that be happened and she talked in her sleep, presumably, right? Yeah. 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 I thought that worked. I got no problems with that scene. <laughs> well, and then, the, yeah, I think he starts talking to her and apologizing to her, right? Uh-huh. He's like, I'm sorry that I haven't been in here. I've been around. Well, I think this was sort of his uh, big catharsis was to tell her, like, basically, you were never. You're never second. You're ever. second. Yeah. I love you. Oh, wait, but wait, that was. Why haven't you spoken to me in a year? <laughs> this was. At, okay. Now I'm trying to figure out in the timeline. Um, oh, Okay. So prior to the reveal, she said he says, Anna, she says, I miss you. Like she's kind of asleep. She says, I miss you. Yes. Um it says, is why, Malcolm? And he says, What? What is it? Why did you leave me? Yeah. She says. He says, I I didn't leave you. And that's when she drops the wedding ring. Right. And falls. And that's when his mind like shatters. Yeah, his... and that, that first part is a taste of the reveal, but I don't think when I saw it for the first time I still put it together with the wedding ring. I think it needed those extra scenes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But it was just a great way to get you into it, for, in my mind, of that when he looks down, his wedding ring is not on his finger. And, and at first, you know, that could be linked to divorce. That could be linked to separation. It could be right. linked to a lot of different things. Uh-huh. Um, but immediately again, my brain goes, wait, was has he been wearing that blue shirt like this whole time? Mm-hmm. I think he has. He was. And there's a bullet hole in the front of it. I thought that reveal was kind of cool. Yeah. How the exit wound was there the whole time and you just didn't know it. Because he's usually got on the overcoat. And he, you know, because everyone else's wounds are evident. Uh, So that that was a nice little touch, I think. I I did not notice, even rewatching it again, I didn't notice he was wearing the same damn outfit the whole time. Evidently he didn't either, that he'd worn the same outfit for a year. (laughs) And he had a hole in it, in that shirt. Everybody else is changing costumes. <laughs> and he wasn't like, what the fuck is this hole in my stomach, uh, in my shirt? That's weird. I got to take care of that. Yeah, that man, that was really, really great. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is one where if you can check all that at the door, truly lose yourself in it, it still really works. Um, but mm. 20 years on for me, I'm a little more cynical maybe about these plot holes. Yeah. And found myself kind of uh, being distracted a bit. I get it. But, you know, good film. Not a, are you disappointed in me? <laughs> no, no. I Because I've, I'm identifying with it. I, th- I, I do feel the same way. I did not expect to be as moved this time, though. Just that, with, Yeah, that stuff, like a, the scale I was talking about, that stuff really helped counterbalance it. Was The emotional stuff really got to me a lot more. Seriously, I would say uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched The Sixth Sense in a little while, especially if you've had a child since watching it. Yeah, agreed. Do yourself a favor and watch it because mm-hmm. it will it will move you. It really will. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, it's it's really kind of a drama about a, a troubled boy and his mom. Yep. That's sort of the heart of this movie. Yeah. The rest of the stuff is around it, but 
I think I could maybe used a little more. How do we leave them? How do we leave mom and Cole? What's we, the last thing we see with them? I don't isn't remember. Isn't it in the car? Is it? There wasn't like a scene at the end where they, he kind of feels better and they have a nice day in the park or something. Let's see. Let's see. Um, do I, mean, I, do maybe I make that would have been pr- too heavy handed. Oh, she says, she answers the question or she gives the question that the grandma answered, which was every day. She says, do I make her proud? And he just says, mama. Right. Hug. Then we cut right to Malcolm walking in. Anna's passed out on the couch watching that wedding video. We get the reveal. So that is the last bit. All right. It goes to white. I get that is their closure then. Because it starts with them. It ends with them. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I also have to say that I think Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment's chemistry was great. Um, When it's just the two of them, that's some really good stuff. Oh, yeah. I, man, like... uh, Watching this movie again, just seeing this kid, and then hearing the interview. There's a short interview, like behind the scenes interview with Haley Joel Osment at the time, describing his character. Yeah, he was pretty advanced. Holy crap! You can't give a performance with this kind of depth at that age if you're not ahead of the curve a bit. Yeah. So then he goes on. He does like AI. He does yeah. a ton of big movies. Um, pretty great in, in all of them. Uh, this one to me was always the standout role, like the one that sure he just was able to really eat up and just. He understood it for some reason so well. Um, not that I didn't like AI. Have you done AI? No, I didn't think that was very good. I didn't really like it either. And I don't think it was his fault. It, uh, no, it wasn't. It was disappointing though. Uh, yeah. And then. So I remember at the time I was like, fuck Kubrick's original story. Yeah, I know. And Spielberg. I know. I know. Like, we, this is going to mm, be lights out. Great. Yeah. And it just wasn't. It just didn't do it. Um, but he, you know, he goes on, he makes all these movies and he leaves. He goes to NYU. Sorry, mm-hmm. I did a tiny bit of research on, on him. Yeah. Uh, gets a degree, does this whole thing, comes back. He's working with Kevin Smith a lot. Yeah, he's come back and kind of leaning into comedy and mm-hmm. sort of uh, – I think he realizes that when he's used now, it's a bit of a – not a stunt, but a bit of a nod and a wink. Yeah. And look, I may be just missing something because I don't know and I honestly haven't looked into it that much. But mm-hmm. I would love to see him in another dramatic role of some sort that yeah. is like – there, there's some intensity to it, but also that tenderness. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that again, like how how his performances have uh, evolved, yeah. like how his craft has like evolved. Like give him something really meaty. Man, I would love to see that. I would too. Maybe like something smaller, like a little indie he could be in. And uh, he's sure. one. it's one of those things that when you're a kid that was so big in something, it's sort of like the Macaulay Culkin syndrome. It's, yeah. it's tough when you see him grown up with his beard, with a little weight on him, with that same little face, though. He's just one of those, like, I look completely different than when I was a kid. Yeah. I'm not, but he still has that same face. Well, you know, you yeah, know? I agree. Yes. <laughs> so it's, a, it's it's always funny. Well, and also growing up in the Hollywood system. Yeah. Um, sure. You did all right, though. You got a DUI. Not I, too bad. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm speaking more to the scary, dark stuff. That, oh, yeah. Uh, in the culture out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. With with certain individuals that we've discussed on my show a lot. Stuff they don't want you to know. Yeah, plug, plug. <laughs> All right, dude. You got anything else? Um, I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff. In, in the bottom, the very last thing you see in the credits is this motion, 
This motion picture was created by Sixth Sense. Pro- yeah, Sixth Sense. Pro- oh, geez, this is hard to say. Sixth Sense Sixth, Productions. Sixth Sense Productions <laughs> Incorporated for the purposes of copyright uh, in the United Kingdom, which was interesting to me. And I was trying to figure out what that meant because yeah. previous to that, it's like copyright by uh, the people that made it. Uh, not Spotlight. Hollywood Pictures, Spyglass Entertainment. Yeah, Spyglass is who yeah. Disney sold it to. Yeah. Uh, that was such a weird thing. And I did, honestly didn't know what it meant. I have no idea. We're going to have to look into that for yeah, what that means. Yeah, it's strange. Um, the school psychologist thing, if anybody out there is listening, mm-hmm. is a psychologist for any reason, but in particular for children, mm-hmm. like working with kids in schools or, you know, uh, kids with behavior issues, mm-hmm. uh, cheers to you Yes, for doing, uh, I was going to say God's work, but, uh, yeah. who, you know. Don't even need to bring that yes. being into doing it. Doing the work of humankind. Just, yeah. Doing amazing <laughs> stuff for all of us. So yeah. Thank Agreed. you. Yeah. That's a nice little shout out. And if you can see dead people, write to me. Tell me. Please. <laughs> like, I want to talk to you. Show me how to do it. Give me the gift. Yeah. I want that so badly. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, I thought this was a, a good one to tackle because it wasn't a love fest. Yeah. And most of the times it's a movie that, like, I loved – unabashedly. So it was kind of an interesting experiment to talk about one that I had issues with overall liked though. Yeah. Um, and thanks for like hanging in there and not being like a sourpuss about it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. What's next? Do we know? Um, not sure, but we, we just talked about 12 monkeys and I'm, I'm into that. All right. If we haven't done it, have you done, um, Oh, God, what is, I'm trying to think of this movie, The Fisher King. Have you done that? I have not. Fisher King is one of my all-time favorites. Same. Like, I would do that one in a heartbeat. I like New York in June. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Love that movie. Maybe maybe write on the the movie crushers See what they want to hear? Yeah, I'd love to know. Yeah, maybe we'll do a poll and let people vote. That'd be great. 12 Monkeys or Fisher King, which are related. Mm Mm-hmm. Or another 99 one that I'm not thinking about right now that we should do. Well, 2020 is a long year. That's true. All right, Maddie, thanks for coming in. Yes. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. Monster DC Sniper. Yes. Go listen to (laughs) Monster Season 3, the DC Sniper. Great show. Banging up the charts. You did a great job. Sorry to do another plug. Just please listen. No, no, you should check that out. It, It is quality, quality stuff. If you're into true crime, and this is more than true crime, I think. I think it's elevated uh, beyond that. Such a monumental case in our country's history. Good stuff. That's, thank you. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.